students this morning. We're going to be finishing up chapter 3. We've been walking through this uh, book verse by verse. We're going to take a pause next week for a a look at the Christmas season, and we'll pick up back in chapter 4 in January. I don't know if you've ever felt this tension in your life about living... you know you're supposed to live a certain way. Maybe God wants me to live a certain way. I want to live a certain way. And yet I don't seem to be able to live the way that I want to live, that I feel like I'm supposed to live. And maybe you can resonate with Paul's words in Romans 7. They're hard to read. They're kind of all just the way the wording is. But I can resonate with the heart of this. He says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And I don't know, maybe you can, can track with, with that feeling that he, it's the, it's the holiday season, right? And so I don't want to do what is wrong. I don't want to Garfield every cookie in sight, but I do it anyway, right? And the good that I want to do, I, I put off until January for those New Year's resolutions, Right? 2023 will finally be the year that I make healthy decisions for 12 months straight. I don't want to continue to look at pornography, you might say. Or maybe you say, I don't want to continue to react in anger to my spouse or my child or my coworker. I don't want to keep being lazy or hiding evening after evening in the next Netflix binge. But we keep doing these things. If you've been following along with us, these first three chapters that we're going to end the, this today, that, that he's looking at who we are in Christ, our new identity in, in Jesus. And then he's going to turn the corner. And in January, we'll look at these last three chapters of how we should then live. If this is who we now are in Christ, then, this is, then our walk, the how, should line up with our who. Anybody in here uh, love them a good roller coaster? Any roller coaster? I'm a roller coaster junkie. Man, you get really jacked up, but that's great. Uh, man, I, and that's one of the, you know, fun things about Alaska is, is we don't have any. Um, <laughs> but I love that moment when it's, you're moving up to the tick, 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 and there's that moment of suspense, right? And right after the tick, 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 you kind of hang there, and then it's the, ah! Right? And down you go. And in a lot of ways, in the book of Ephesians, we've been tick, 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 tick up and up and up the mountain of the glorious riches we have in Christ. And then that is just going to kind of propel us down into the how we live as believers in Christ. And what the central idea I see here in this prayer that we're going to look at together in Ephesians 3 is how we get our who to match our how. That How do we get who we are in Christ to line up, to be in sync with the how God wants us to live, how he's created us to live? And so we're going to look at this, and we see all the way back in in creation a pattern. The Trinity, we, we believe that there is a God who is one God, but in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this pattern in Scripture the, the way that, that God operates in this trinity, we see it in creation, that the Father speaks, right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? It's emanating from the Father, but then he does it through the Son, that the Son, we see in John chapter 1, is the one through whom all things were created, that he is the Word. So when God's identity, you got notes, fill in the blanks in your bulletins, um, we'll have the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible uh, version on the screen. You can be welcomed and encouraged to follow along uh, with the Bible in front of you. 
first of all, from the Father's creating identity. My uh, favorite basketball team that I bring up as much as possible is uh, the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, in 2000, 2005, my brother and I actually got to go to North Carolina and attend a game in person. Uh, this was a moment of a lifetime. It's impossible just to get tickets to Cameron Indoor Stadium. But my hip doctor uh, ha- happened to be uh, a doctor at Duke University, and so he scored us two tickets, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so he gets us these tickets, and we go to this game. And after the game, we step down onto the sacred hardwood floor of Cameron Indoor Stadium, and I am so overwhelmed with emotion that I fall to my knees on the basketball court. Actually, I fell all the way down to my back, and my brother took a picture. Here I am, painted chest at Coach K court. Now, just as beautifully in Ephesians, Paul falls to his knees. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. That Now, actually, interestingly, in, in Jewish tradition, uh, they would normally Stand to pray, but there were these moments of time reserved, the greatest moments of emotion or reverence, where they would actually uh, fall to their knees in prayer. Uh, one of the few times we see this recorded in the Bible is back in the Old Testament with Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And it says in Chronicles that he kneels down before all of Israel at the temple as they're dedicating this place, and he prays to God with his hands lifted high. And just in the, he's overcome with this idea that, that God himself would dwell with his people, that, that his spirit would dwell in their city. For what reason? We go back all the way to the end of chapter 2 to see the connection. And he says at the end of chapter 2, he references this new building, that Christ is the cornerstone and we are the building. And what does he say? We are the temple, the new temple indwelled by the Holy Spirit himself. But I think that he's actually even backing up even more than just that. He's looking at the very first two, cha- the first two chapters of Ephesians. And Paul is, is essentially saying, as I think of what we have in Christ, as I think about the fact that we were dead in our sins, separated from God, but now we have been raised from the dead, given new life in Jesus, seated, at, seated, seated there it is, at the right hand of the Father, that we have been given a dump truck load of blessings in Christ. Remember what he said in the opening verses, we've been chosen as children of God, that we have been forgiven of all of our sins, that we have been cleansed of all guilt, that we are with the Spirit in us guaranteed a forever with the Father, that we're free from sin and now free to be God's workmanship. And not just me individually, though. We've been placed into this unified body of Christ, that we are, it's made up of Jew and Gentile from people of all nations, now one new family in the kingdom of Christ. The Trinity, the God three in one, now dwells in us forever. And when he says, when I think of all of this, for this reason, I can't even stand it, literally, and he falls to his knees to pray in awe and worship and humility of the Father and this true and better temple that we have in Christ. Now he goes on to say, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
Now he says, uh, and this is, this is a play on words in the Greek, uh, so if you speak ancient Greek, you get it, and you've been giggling already, but for the rest of us, I'll, I'll point this out. So he says, father, which is the word pater, and then he says, from whom every family, that word is pater here, in wanting what God wants, for our who to line up with the how, is to know who our father actually is, and in light of that, who am I? And you ask yourself this morning, who are you letting define you? Are you trying to define yourself? Are you letting the other people around you define you, this world define you? And how often can we believe the condemning lies that I am ugly, I am broken, I am stupid? Or maybe on the other side, the arrogant side of I know what's best, I'm the smartest, I'm the best. And either way, it's, it's, it's a self-referential identity. Or do we believe who God says that I am? And in the book of Ephesians here, we're told how God sees us as his adopted children, chosen, forgiven, and raised with Christ, free from sin, into a loving relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. So the first step to get our how to match up with our who is, is to understand who it is that we really are. But I don't know if you're like me, I fail to do that on a daily, if not moment-by-moment moment basis. I don't live in light of who my God says that I am. And that's why we need the second ingredient here, what the Holy Spirit does. This is going to be by the Spirit's indwelling power. In January of 2019, I lay on the operating table of Dr. Jimmy Chow. I'll let you guess if this picture was before or after the drugs started doing their work. <laughs> Ready to receive a hip replacement. Because I, I could resonate physically with what Paul was saying. The things I wanted to do, I couldn't do. I wanted to be able to walk and run and, and even sit for longer than 20 minutes without pain. But I, didn't, I couldn't do those things. And the things I didn't want to do, experience pain, possibly have to be in a wheelchair by the age of 40. That's what my current hips were destining me for. I needed new hips. And Paul says here, too, we need a replacement. Look at what he says in verse 16. I pray that he, God, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strength selfish. Now maybe you say, Justin, no, 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 no. You don't know how many times a day I don't do what I really want to do. Earlier this week when my coworker lipped off, I wanted to punch them in the brain. I didn't punch them in the brain. You are a liar. Your pants are on fire, right? But, but think about this for a second. There are often, when we don't do something we wanted to do, it's because there are deeper underlying desires that are even greater. So maybe I didn't punch my coworker in the brain, but that's because there's another even better a selfish desire overriding that. And that's maybe the desire to not be seen as a brain-punching employee, right? I don't want to be seen as a jerk. I don't want to be seen in a negative light. And maybe I just didn't want to deal with the consequences, you punch somebody and there's all this paperwork, right? The HR gets involved. It's just not worth my time, right? Or maybe that person's double my size and I didn't want to get punched back. I mean, you can see the way that, that, that ultimately we're going to do what we most want to do. And, and as an unbeliever in, in our sin, we're always going to put ourselves first. We are always going to seek our own good. My will be done. And just like the first Adam we said it was nothing but a heap of dust until the ruach of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God inspired, breathed into him life that could connect him with God and his will and his heart. Adam could do nothing. And we too, Paul has said, are dead in our sin, unable to do anything that is pleasing to God, unable to do what he wants us to do. But the beautiful truth that we've been shown here is that we've been given a new 
spirit, a new heart, a new, we got a desire replacement, like I got a hip replacement. And what does that new spirit in us want? What does that, that new heart in us want? And what are we able to do now? So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. We now have a heart that wants what God wants to walk in his ways. It is falling apart. And it wasn't sure, insurance wasn't sure if it would be able to last another winter without crushing down on their worshiping congregants, right? Uh, and, and so they, they found out, though, that the, the current walls that were going to be holding the new roof wouldn't be able to hold the new roof. So they need a new roof and they need new walls. Basically, they're just building a whole new church. And, and in this, though, they, they have been church orphans, right, until that, that walls and the roof have been fortified, strengthened to be able to hold the people in the building. Need, a, need stronger walls. And similarly, it's fascinating here to see what the Holy Spirit is empowering uh, us to do. Paul prays that he would fortify our temple walls to be able to hold, to grasp to uh, Jesus himself. Look at what he says, verse 17. So, and, and some translations, actually, this is so that. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that, or and that, Christ may dwell in your hearts. That dwell, it's abode, to make his home there. May dwell in your hearts through faith through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that interesting? To know something that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I love this about the Trinity like the Trinity, it shows us what selflessness looks like. Like the Holy Spirit is a hype man here. And he's going, yo, do you see how much God the Father loves you? Do you have any idea how much Jesus, his son, loves you? Like the, the Trinity is always pointing to the other members of the Trinity. And, and here, the Holy Spirit's power is here, it says, to help us understand what on our own is, understand, is not understandable. I don't know what the word is. To comprehend what's incomprehensible to know the unknowable, to be able to believe through faith how our who moves to a how, how change actually happens in our lives. In his prayer here, he shows this, that the Holy Spirit has to give us the power to be able to hold the very person of God inside of us, to fortify the temple walls. Because what we're taught in Scripture is that Christ is now in us, the hope of glory, which is an amazing thought, is it not? It's also sort of a terrifying one. Because if you think about, I mean, go back to the Old Testament. When someone's in the presence of God, are they just like, what's up, God? No, they, they fall down. Like, this is a terrifying thing to be in the holy presence of God. And now he says, God is actually here in us, with us. Imagine somebody being in your head 24-7. That knows everything you think, knows everything you want, knows every action, every feeling. And he says, if we're going to be rooted, if we're going to be rooted and firmly established in love, then I think this means that we, with Christ's dwelling presence in us, we, need to, we must be both fully known by this God and fully accepted by this God. Because you think if we have one without the other, like if we're known by God, but we are not accepted by that God, that's condemnation, right? That's terror, that's us hiding in the bushes and behind fig leaves in shame and fear. 
But if we go to the other end and God accepts us, but he doesn't really know us, then that's just false, right? I can, I can, know some, I can accept somebody. I like who I know of them, but I don't really know them. Like, I love Denzel Washington. He's my favorite actor. He's my, my man, right? I love Denzel. I don't know Denzel. He doesn't know me. Maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's live streaming right now. Hey, Denzel. <laughs> Zach and Denzel. What a combo today. If, if there's a servant, see, God, he's got to know us. And in his just animal, an innocent animal, would die on the behalf of the people. And the blood of that animal would be seen as cleansing, purifying that meeting place of God and man. And what God's word teaches us is that now in our hearts, that we ourselves become the meeting place with God and ourselves. How? By the death of his innocent son on our behalf. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us so that we can be the dwelling place of God. So only in this way can God know the depth of our sin, but because it's been fully paid for and we've been fully purified, he can accept us right as we are. That's the love of God in the person of Jesus. And I think Paul also has the temple theme in mind here when he says this line. He says, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth. Now, in the CSB here, it says, of God's love. Um, that's, a, that's an interpretive move. The Greek does not actually have the words of God's love. In fact, these are just nouns. They're not adjectives. So they're not describing something. They're just saying that you would know the height, the depth, the breadth. All the, it's a, they're hard words to say. So what is he, the, the height of what? The breadth, what's he talking about? Well, we know in context here, he is saying, and I think why they made that, it's a good interpretive move, because right before and after, it talks about the love that we're rooted in, to know Christ's love. So I do think that is the reference, that we would know the dimensions of God's love for us. And this is what I love, because really, you think about, again, this temple analogy, you could measure the Old Testament temple, Right? We have all those long, boring passages in the Old Testament where they tell us how long everything is. It was this cubit's length. It was this cubit's. I'm like, that's not helpful. I have no idea what a cubit is, right? It's measuring the temple. But what Paul is saying here is you cannot measure what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is why we sing how deep the Father's love for us. As many numbers as there are. That's how many I love. Imagine the astonishment of this kid when he gets into double digits, right? Or really love his mommy. What are we saying here? We measure the Father's immeasurable love by the cross of Christ. We're going to sing in a little bit one of my favorite stanzas of any song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? And were every stalk on earth a quill? Or, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I love you six, Abba. But the question is, how, do we, how does this who we are lead to how we live? How, what's this turning point here? 
Because on the one hand, we've said we cannot by our own sheer willpower just make this change, grit the teeth and try harder. On the other hand, we don't just lay in bed and wait for the Holy Spirit to zap us with Jesus juice and we just become love machines, right? So what the question is before us, how do, what, do, what are we called to do to put ourselves before God so that he can do what only he can do? Three things I see in this prayer as we land the plane. The first one is we beseech the Father, beseech. I used it because it was a B word and I needed to make an alliteration, but I also do really like the word beseech. This word means more than just pray, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotion. There's a, a fervent, an urgent asking of the Father. And that's what I see in this. Notice this is a prayer that Paul is kneeling before the Father in prayer. What he's asking through, when we pray, we're asking God to do what we can't do. All that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is, he says, the reason God gets all the glory is because he's the only one who can do this thing. And that's why as Paul prays, all things from him, through him, and back up to him for his glory alone now and forever. Can you imagine and what would happen if we started praying like this? And not just for ourselves, but like Paul here, to pray for one another. The ability to know God, like to truly understand in the depth of our inner being how much he loves us in a way that it changes everything. That's available to us right now. James says, you have not because you ask not. It's a process. But this is a promise. So the question for us is, how how can you beseech the Father this week? Are we people who are actually praying? I can be so slow to pray and so quick to act. Am I asking God to do what only he can do? Maybe a step for you this week is I'm just going to commit to pray this prayer. I'm going to put this in my phone, some reminder set up. So on a daily basis, I'm praying this for me and, and, and our family, our church, our community. Second thing here is we, we behold Jesus' face. We behold the face of Christ. John 4, uh, 14, he teaches, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me. So love results in obedience. Our firm foundation for a life that's pleasing to God, we said it cannot be my own willpower, just wanting it more, trying harder. It cannot just be building better habits in my life. It can't just be getting accountability. Now, all of those things are good things. But, or, or rocky or brave heart, and you're just like so jacked up. You're like, I think I could actually walk, run through a wall right now. It's freedom, right? Or you watch some love movie, and you're just swooning. You're just like, I am Casanova right now. You are just like, it motivates. It stirs up affections that you feel like is going to completely change the way you see the world and interact with it. And he says here, as we behold the person of Jesus, like as we see, as we look at the stories in the Gospels, as we see the selflessness of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the way that he lived, and the way that he died, so this is going to change us and compel us. We go forward, it's going to change everything. So the question is, how can we behold the face of Jesus this week? What will stir our affections that will change us from the inside out? Maybe for you that's sitting with a beautiful song or a beautiful poem that speaks to who Christ is in a beautiful way. Maybe that's this week steeping in one of the gospel stories 
I love the story about the, the beggar who's on the side of the road and sees Jesus. He's, Jesus is busy. He's going somewhere. And he just cries out. And Jesus turns and it says he looks at him with compassion. And I think about myself as that beggar with empty hands crying out to Jesus and the way that he looks at me with tears in his eyes and he moves toward me. Because we behold who Jesus is, that's going to start to change us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the third point. What do we do? We bear the Spirit's fruit. This is where Paul's metaphors are so helpful. Where are roots? He says we're rooted and established in love. These two analogies. The roots of our soil, the firm foundation, is the love of Christ itself. The way we're going to bear fruit, the way that we are our builders about this God that can fully know us and fully accept us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and to model that selfless, sacrificial love. I love what Brian Chappell says. Our, our joy is going to be found in a task that is not to burden other people with law and condemnation. Like our job is not to go out and condemn the world. Our job is to go out, he says, is to buoy the world with the love of God. To say, yes, we are sinners, that in ourselves we're condemned, but because of what Christ has done, we lift people's chins up to the cross and the empty tomb and show this is how deep the Father's love is for us, that we should be called children of God. And when I see someone else in sin, I should not delight. I should not get, and if we're honest, sometimes when we see someone messing up, it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves or to despair and to see someone trapped and have no hope for them, that nobody can actually change. But instead, he says, we are driven by Christ's love, the love that compels us to come to them. And in the same way that we have been freed from our sin, to come with the hope that the gospel truth of Christ can free them as captives to sin as well. So ask yourself, how can this week, how can I bear the fruit of the Spirit? One of the things is I've been meditating on this this passage and thinking about this, if Christ dwells in me, if he makes his home in my heart, then that should, I should start to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I should start thinking about people the way Jesus thinks about them. I should want what Jesus wants. And so one of the things I've just been doing is as, in, as, as a reminder, as I'm getting up in the morning, going to work or coming home to be with my family in the evening or going to that next conversation, just asking in prayer for ourselves, we are, a, we are the temple. So the Bible says, y'all are the temple, written in the South. And we want to pray this for one another. We want to pray this for the Armstrong family. We, we want to pray for God to do what only he can do. So would you pray these words together with me out loud? For this reason, we kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We pray that he may grant us according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in our inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that we, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now 